All right, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box to type, locate at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Uh, another packed week. Um, originally, again, we spoke about this in the past when I was asked to write a blurb. Uh, all attention was focused, well, uh, a lot of attention was focused on Gaza and Hamas, first of all, because uh, late last week, uh, once again, some rockets were launched from Gaza by Hamas. Uh, onto Israel. In fact, uh, the Iron Dome uh, intercept system actually didn't uh, manage to intercept these particular rockets and they landed uh, in populated areas uh, uh, in the south of Israel. And Israel uh, retaliated, again, not ex uh, you know, excessively. But what was interesting is the next day, uh, probably more of a coincidence than anything else, Israel uh, carried on what it's been doing for a while uh, with some major exercises uh, trying to emulate what uh, future wars and conflicts will look like. Uh, in the north, uh, uh, recently there was a few IDF exercises trying to simulate what would happen if Hezbollah uh, tried to come across the border and even took over certain towns and villages uh, very close to the border. How would that look? How would the IDF react? Uh, in Gaza, it's a very, very complicated story because of the uh, very high levels of population. Uh, there aren't many open spaces uh, with which to conduct a, a, you know, a warfare, as opposed to southern Lebanon and some other areas. Um, but there was this uh, operation. And what was most interesting is the recent um, uh, simulations, uh, and let's say war games, were under a title called Tnufa, which means movement. And according to the ideology of the uh, chief of staff, uh, Kohavi, he's spoken very much about it recently that uh, Israel has to change its definition in warfare and move towards something closer to victory, which means defeating its enemy. Now, this is a kind of tactic or strategy or even messaging that hasn't been used in Israel for many, many years, not to, uh, to fight an enemy to a stalemate, not to just basically wait for the diplomatic clock to uh, run down, but actually to try and defeat uh, one's enemies, try to deprive them of their ability to carry on fighting, uh, to convince them that the battle is up and try and impose uh, much more favorable conditions when eventually the, the fighting uh, does stop. This is something uh, very interesting that we've seen. This is something actually that uh, uh, Professor Daniel Pipes has been pushing for, uh, for many years in the Middle East Forum with the Israel Victory Project. And I and I do uh, uh, stress to everyone uh, listening, if you haven't done so already, uh, it would definitely be worthwhile to look at some of uh, Professor Pipes' uh, writings on the subject and how close they are to what we're now seeing as a defensive, as a, as a military doctrine that we are now seeing the IDF take up under the leadership of uh, Chief of Staff Kohavi. And we certainly saw this uh, uh, during the, the preparations for, unfortunately, what will probably end up being a future conflict uh, what we do know is uh, Hamas usually uh, launch their rockets against Israel when it's in the time of distress and it wants to get attention, uh, especially when it's a limited amount, as we saw last week. 
Well, Hamas is certainly in distress. First of all, COVID is hitting them very hard. Economically, the Gaza Strip is in a very bad shape. And most importantly, uh, the uh, talks, uh, the unity talks between Fatah, uh, which is Mahmoud Abbas, the PA president's uh, party, um, which runs the Judean Samaria and the West Bank, and Hamas, there's been unity talks for many years, but these ones were being held in Cairo, and apparently uh, talks were ongoing when it was released that uh, the PAs decided uh, to rejoin security coordinations with uh, Israel, with the Israeli government, with the IDF, and apparently that was uh, to some anger from uh, the Hamas counterparts, and in fact they left the meeting and there's been no talks since then. The talks are supposed to be about unity, about elections, you know, we haven't seen any type of elections in the Palestinian Authority for well over 12 years. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas has no democratic legitimacy. He's, as we say, 12 years into a four or five year stint. Um, but the fact remains that Hamas are in dire straits. There's great disagreements between the local Hamas branch and the overseas Hamas branch, uh, which usually takes a more uh, militant tone. Uh, but uh, suffice to say that uh, Hamas are certainly not getting their own way at this point and uh, their relationship with Fatah has once again broken down. Um, so we'll see what happens on that front. On another front, uh, there, was a, there was a very interesting visit. Uh, some clever person, far cleverer than me, was watching uh, eagle-eyed and noticed that a plane uh, this week took off from Tel Aviv and landed in a, a, I can't remember the exact name, uh, a, coast, a, a Red Sea coastal town uh, not far uh, from Israel in Saudi Arabia. It was a small private jet owned by a, a, a businessman. And a lot of people noticed, uh, noted that in the past when, uh, when Prime Minister Netanyahu wanted to make uh, secret visits, he usually used this particular plane. And while it was not confirmed by either Israelis and Saudis, in fact, the Saudis denied it, it is, it is clear that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu met with uh, the Saudi leader, uh, Mohammed bin Sultan, uh, on the agenda, almost certainly were two issues, uh, Iran, of course, and its move towards nuclear weapons and what's going to happen with JCPOA, uh, but also importantly, uh, the probable likelihood of more, uh, let's say, less favorable wins coming from Washington over the next few years. Uh, during the Trump admi administration, not just Israel, but uh, Riyadh certainly were, were considered extremely strong allies in the region, probably the strongest allies. And this is what led to uh, some of the normalization agreements, the Abraham Accords, uh, this understanding that the moderate or pragmatic Sunni world and Israel had far more in common vis-a-vis uh, -vis its uh, enemies and opponents, uh, which forged uh, some of these alliances that are happen happening. But what we saw under the previous administration, the Obama administration, and what we understand is more likely uh, under the Biden administration is Saudi Arabia is seen as more of a, an opponent, let's say, is not necessarily seen as a, as a natural ally uh, to the US. And there's going to be a, a certain amount of space, uh, probably uh, between the US and the Saudi administrations. It's going to be an uncomfortable uh, few years. Uh, that's a, a feeling to a certain extent shared in Jerusalem. Um, not to say that it's going to be necessarily an antagonistic or return to the Obama administration, but it's certainly going to be a step backwards uh, from what we've seen over the last four years in the Trump administration. 
What was interesting is that uh, this, by the way, this meeting was attended by Secretary of State uh, Pompeo. Uh, what was interesting is the fact that nothing came out of it. No great gesture, no ag acknowledgement. There was some reports and some uh, 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 quotes that came out, I believe in the Wall Street Journal uh, from the Saudi side, which uh, admitted that the meeting happened, but then the official uh, uh, communiques basically said that no such meeting had happened in Israel. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu certainly alluded to it, and many uh, senior Israeli government ministers confirmed that the meeting took place. Um, but the Saudis still are not at that stage where they want to openly admit that uh, meetings happened between uh, the two leaderships. What's also interesting about it is that um, Netanyahu went with a very small delegation. Uh, he went with the head of Mossad, uh, who he likes to entrust many of these uh, sort of uh, events with, uh, and also has seen his uh, military attaché. Uh, but interestingly enough, the defense minister, who is the military attaché's boss, was kept out of the loop, didn't hear about it, wasn't uh, contacted uh, before uh, the event. In fact, no one else uh, in the cabinet knew about it, which led to another level of uh, strain between blue and white uh, leadership of Benny Gantz and Gabi Ashkenazi, who's foreign minister, and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Not just that, there's been a lot of events which have just strained it further and further with a lot of uh, Israeli commentators who are saying, like I said last week, that we are almost certainly going to elections. Uh, Benny Gantz has certainly taken off the gloves. We saw it again, even today, where he called on the government, uh, which had called for uh, harsher, stricter fines for those uh, involved in uh, breaking the law uh, regarding holding large events like weddings or schools, which are not permitted uh, to go back. Um, but what, what's important about those is that they are seen as a cause belly for the, uh, the ultra-Orthodox. And the fact that Gantz went so head on, not just Netanyahu, but the ultra-Orthodox means that he may well have been, have already given up on this government. And now he's just preparing the ground uh, for a campaign to show that he was strong against his opponents and he held his line. Um, interestingly enough, also Finance Minister Katz, we've been talking about the budget for many weeks, if not many months. The fact that nothing's been moving, suddenly we heard today uh, that the budget is being prepared and even the 2021 budget is underway and is going to be presented by February. Uh, Benny Gantz has long wanted that to be presented before the end of the year. Um, and he's calling this a bluff, basically, just to ensure that the blame is laid at his feet, because obviously, um, if he could, uh, with Yisrael Katz as finance minister and Prime Minister Netanyahu, are seen to be moving on the budget, uh, forward on the budget, and Benny Gantz is not happy with that, and he's the one who calls for elections, then obviously the blame can then be laid at his feet. So it's, it's, it's very much a matter of the blame game at this point. Uh, each are blaming each other. It does seem, interestingly, that Likud uh, are more about attacking Naftali Bennett these days. Uh, Naftali Bennett was on TV, I believe it was yesterday, and he was asked about the right-wing bloc, uh, which you know usually Israel is between the left-wing and the right-wing religious bloc, uh, but he is a central part of that right-wing bloc, was left out of the government by Prime Minister Netanyahu, and he basically said on uh, on on, on primetime TV, there is no right-wing bloc. And they could made great hay out of this. They uh, recorded that, they spliced it, and they sent it to, through all their social media channels. 
trying to show that Bennett believes there is no right wing, there's no right wing bloc, he's not part of it. Uh, Bennett shot back. Um, and basically, the, that, that seems to be the war at the moment, because, again, if we're in election season, you attack the one who's most likely to take votes from you. Um, so again, we're seeing that we are already in a campaign. Uh, many are saying that we're pretty much already there. Uh, elections could well be called. Um, if the budget, the 2020 budget, we were talking before about 2021, but if the 2020 budget isn't passed in the next few weeks and there's been no sign of it, and there needs to be debates and there needs to be uh, passage through the Knesset, et cetera, et cetera. If it's not passed, then we automatically go for elections and uh, Netanyahu remains in his seat. And, you know, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, uh, chance on this. Will, will he uh, retain? Uh, the largest party in the larger block, will the larger block get 61? Uh, interestingly, if you look at the recent polls, some polls show a, a massive gap between Likud and Yamina. One showed a gap of 10 seats. Another poll this week showed a gap of three seats. The most important uh, numbers though are the 61. Is Does the right wing, including Yamina, have a 61? Another interesting thing to look at uh, which has certainly showed up in recent polls, is is there an anti-Netanyahu block? Is there 61 with Yamina, Yeshua Beitenu, Yeshatid, uh, blue and white, uh, perhaps buttressed from the outside by merits or maybe a new party or, or whatever it is? And the answer is that some of the polls have shown that there is. And that would put uh, Netanyahu in a very difficult position. At the moment, the only party he can rely on, parties, or the ultra-Orthodox who are standing by him. But there does seem to be a possibility of an anti-Netanyahu bloc. But if you just do right-left, then the right wing certainly has a much stronger case, 65, 66, 67 uh, seats. So, but the, you know, the anti-Netanyahu bloc is a number that uh, the Netanyahu, the prime minister and his people will be looking at and certainly trying to chip away on that uh, in the next few weeks. So still lots to play for as time politics and I'm happy to answer questions on this or anything else. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is how accurate have the polls been in the last three elections? <clears throat> um, it's, it's, a, it's a, usually it underestimates Likud. Likud, especially Prime Minister Netanyahu, I've spoken about my admiration for him as a political strategist, as a communicator. And what he's done, managed to do in recent elections is at the last minute managed to sway uh, a lot of people from, let's say, the right-wing uh, satellite parties, whether they're Yamin of Naftali Bennett, even Israel Beitenu of Avigdor Lieberman, uh, basically trying to sh uh, say that you may not like me, but if you do not vote for me, the right-wing is in danger now. People who really under understand the system, as I said, it's about blocks, not about parties. Uh, it, it's it, certainly in the past it's less relevant. As I said, there could be an anti-Netanyahu block, so right, left are uh, obviously less relevant in that particular scenario. But usually there's one or two shocks. One party will do much better than they think, one party will do much worse. If we remember, I believe two elections ago, even though there's been three elections, they all sort of you know, meld into one. Uh, but Yamin uh, didn't even pass the uh, threshold. And now they're polling in the in the 20s. Uh, Yamina certainly will not do as well as the polls show. Uh, a lot of people in polls just basically they take the flavor of the month and the person they see most 
not necessarily according to their ideology, but if they, for example, if people don't like Netanyahu, even on the center or the center left, they, uh, a lot of polls have shown that these kind of people are saying that they would vote Yamina, but probably when it comes to it, after a grueling, uh, focused uh, three-month campaign, probably a lot of those people would turn to the left or the left of, uh, uh, the left of center or the centrist parties. Um, but, you know, it, it's different than, than in the States where it's sort of, you know, there's, there's two horses, you know, it's one or the other. Uh, but obviously, even there, they get it uh, wrong, as we've seen in the past. Uh, but in Israel, you know, one seat goes, one seat uh, less on this party, one seat more on that party can literally change the map. I mean, we're dealing with, you know, we went to elections because uh, the block was only 60 at one point. All they needed was one more seat. Um, so polls will never get it 100% correct. Uh, so far in the last few elections, Likud did better than the polls said they would. Yamina did worse. Uh, the, left, but the, the two blocks pretty much um, have retained uh, themselves 65 to the right. Uh, and again, 55, it, interestingly enough, whenever they show these polls, they always put Liebman in the middle uh, because he's not considered part anymore of it, uh, by the bloc. Um, so it's very hard to say, you know, do the pollsters get it right or wrong? I mean, in the last few elections, there's been a lot of uh, sort of disappointment with the pollsters. Uh, they've tried to justify it because, you know, people lie in polls and maybe some communities like the Arabs or the ultra-Orthodox don't poll as well. Um, but uh, generally the blocks are, remain fairly constant. Thank you. Uh, and could you address the conjectures seen in the press here that during President Trump's remaining lame duck term, Israel would take dramatic action against Iran either directly or by attacking its allied groups in Syria or elsewhere? Well, the second part, uh, attacking uh, Iranian interests in Syria is doing almost daily now. I mean, we heard attacks, I think it was last night and you know, a few days before then, a few days before that. So, so that's happening. But obviously attacking Iran itself is a completely different uh, criteria here. Um, I, I, I doubt it. Uh, that's my view. Uh, I'm not a defense a expert. So I'm, I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I, I doubt they would do that. I think uh, to take such a step uh, without the permission or at least the understanding of the incoming uh, administration would be very hard for Israel. And I don't see uh, president-elect, is he president-elect yet? I, I think he is, <laughs> officially. Uh, without the permission or the approval of the president-elect, I, 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 don't, I don't see that uh, uh, Netanyahu would, uh, would take such a step. Um, that, that's my particular view. I, I don't believe it will happen, uh, but certainly uh, the steps that it's taking on Iranian proxies or even Iranians, Iranian uh, presence in Syria, it's, it's taking all the time. Understood. And does IDF action now mean the end of the policy of restraint? Well, at the end of the day, the IDF uh, doesn't really make the decisions. It's obviously the political level that made the decisions. The defense cabinet, in theory, is the sovereign when it comes to decisions of uh, war and conflict. Um, and it's still very much uh, beholden to Prime Minister Netanyahu. He usually uh, weighs the, uh, the, the, the security cabinet in his favor where he has enough automatic votes for whatever policies he sees. So I think we'll just see a continuation at that level, but 
there is certainly an influence throughout the IDF, throughout the security services um, of uh, preparing for different scenarios and preparing the IDF for victory, uh, for a much harsher uh, response. And this basically puts at least a plan on the table, which hadn't existed before, that uh, Israel could go much stronger against its opponents during any uh, future potential conflict. And I think that it, the, therein lies the difference. Uh, I, I think I've told a story before that when Defense Minister uh, Avito Liebman came in uh, to his office and he sat around with the top security brass and he said, I'd like to see a document uh, outlining a strategy to defeat Hamas. And everyone looked around the table and said, we've never had one because no one ever asked us to do one. Prime, uh, uh, Defense Minister Liebman was the one who appointed Kohavi because he wanted this strategy. He wanted to talk more victory. He wanted to think how to defeat enemies. And we can now see the outcome of that. Um, so the fact is that the plans and the strategies and the motivation towards victory will be on the table, whether Prime Minister Netanyahu or whoever is Prime Minister at the time, um, if we, we should have another conflict, decides to pick it up and use it, that's a whole nother consideration. But what is important is that the idea of is preparing uh, to present that option uh, to the political level should we need it in the future. Thank you. And would you comment on Chinese involvement uh, in the port of Haifa? What's going on? Well, that's, that's a bit of an old uh, story that uh, when they put out um, uh, basically for people, for companies uh, to bid uh, to restructure with the infrastructure there in uh, Haifa, the one of the Chinese companies was one of the best bids and Israel was seriously considering it, but the Americans basically came in and told Israel not to consider it, so it was dropped. Uh, so that's pretty much the story. All right, thank you. And also this is from last week, but just in case anything has changed, if President Trump I know his advisors have said no on this, but attacks Iran's nuclear sites before leaving office, what would be the ramifications for Israel? I mean, massive. Um, obviously, any, any serious threat um, against Iran, probably they would, they, they wouldn't just target Israel. Saudi Arabia is certainly uh, a potential target for Iran and the Saudis are extremely worried. Obviously, you know, proxies in uh, Yemen, proxies in Lebanon proxies in Syria, uh, pretty much all over, even in, in, in Gaza with Islamic uh, Jihad, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, I should say. Um, I, as I said, I, I don't see it happening, um, but it would definitely lead to a greater conflict because Iran does have uh, very strong military capabilities. It certainly ha has missiles that are able to attack Israel uh, and deal very heavy blows. Hezbollah basically have very strong missile uh, program that can hit any inch of uh, Israeli territory. So obviously there would be tremendous ramifications. We know we saw in the past during the, the, the Gulf War, the first Gulf War at least, and the threats in the second Gulf War, that when uh, America attacked Iraq, even though Israel was out of that war, we were then uh, attacked. Uh, so I'm sure it would be uh, seen very similarly and Israel would expect a very strong and robust uh, 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 reaction to say the least. Uh, but as I said, I, I don't see it happening. So going back to the elections in Israel, um, you mentioned a possibility of an anti-Netanyahu bloc. 
does this mean that there's a stronger appetite among young and left Israelis to throw out BB for good? And is Benny Gantz more open to a two-state solution? It's, uh, that, that's the point. It's not just a left-wing Israelis who want to throw out Netanyahu. There are the extreme right are extremely unhappy with him. Uh, Yamina voters who are right-wing, uh, to the right of the Likud, <clears throat> are extremely unhappy. And there are many people who are very unhappy. I mean, the fact is he's lost since, uh, in, the, in, in the recent elections, he's lost 10 to 15 seats, depending on what, what the polls are showing. Obviously, again, these are polls, these are not election results, but even in the elections themselves, each election saw him uh, slightly weakened. Um, so it, the, it's not really left and right. I mean, again, um, you know, there are a lot of people on the right wing who would point to Netanyahu, uh, who, who agreed to settlement freezes, who agrees to fund the PA, who agrees to uh, release terrorists, who, uh, uh, you know, voted for the disengagement. And they would say, this is not a right wing uh, prime minister. And that's why they vote to the right of him. So. There's a lot of people on the right, left, center, religious, non-religious, who are just fed up. But also, maybe they feel it's time for a change. There's a number of issues, whether it's corruption, uh, obviously with uh, the, the, the court cases that are upcoming, whether it's a feeling that uh, the country is being run according to political considerations, whether it's on a right-left uh, issue. There are many Israelis from all sorts of walks of life who are just uh, wanting to see the end of Netanyahu, and that's when you could see people who are like Naftali Bennett and Avigdor Lieberman who are to write on Netanyahu on security and diplomatic issues, and people like Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid, who are to the left of him on, on, on those issues, who are united uh, in a belief that Netanyahu's uh, reign should be uh, ended as soon as possible. So it wouldn't necessarily be a, a right or left uh, issue, but uh, it would be a very hard uh, government to cobble together. Um, but certainly there is talk about it. Um, it's, it. It is one that's on the table, whether it's the you know, uh, uh, best choice of anyone, uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, while it's there, uh, Netanyahu is certainly nervous about it and he'll do everything to try and uh, disrupt this from happening. Thank you. And uh, what support is there for, I'm gonna butcher this name, uh, Ugi Ya'alam? Um, limited. Um, there's talk this week about whether he would, at the moment, uh, Yeh Lapid's party is called Yeshatid Telem. Yeshatid is his party, uh, Yeh Lapid, and Telem is uh, Bugi Alon, uh, former defense minister, former Likud uh, member, who, again, if we're talking about right-left, he's, he's a man of the right, uh, certainly is against a two-state solution, uh, but sits relatively comfortably at the moment with Yair Lapid, uh, largely because they have something unifying them is their position that Netanyahu's reign should be over. Uh, so there's a good example uh, of it. Uh, but Yalon on his own probably wouldn't pass the electoral threshold. So probably he will either have to stay in Yashatid or look for another larger party uh, to come in. And, and even the people who are under him on the list in Telem have actually now moved. Some of them have moved to blue and white. Some of them even uh, went to Likud. Some of them uh, broke off, uh, like Dara Heretz, Joaz Hendel, and Zvika Hauser. So he, he lost a lot, a lot of people uh, from the last elections. And he himself, I wouldn't say is, is a major electoral force. I understand. So just 
Going back to Dugaz and Hamas and uh, the southern border possibly heating up, can you just make a prediction of what might happen and what we might see in the coming weeks? I think it's, I don't think much will happen in the coming weeks. Again, there may be rockets that will be launched, singular, lower multiple uh, rockets, uh, probably to get Israel's attention, to get the international community's attention. You know, the situation is pretty dire economically from a health point of view with coronavirus. Um, so Hamas usually like to get the attention of the international community that way and Israel's attention. Um, so as I said, Hamas are not in the best place at the moment. So I would expect to see uh, every now and again, some rockets being launched from there. I don't see a conflict breaking out. I don't think Hamas want it. Certainly Israel doesn't want it. Um, so I don't see a wider conflict, but there'll probably be every, every week or so, there'll be a, a few rockets launched until they get what they want. Uh, there is still talk about a longer term ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Uh, talks every now and again uh, do happen through third parties. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't seem too much progress on that. And as I said, Hamas have even dropped out of the unity talks with Fatah. So they're definitely in a, in a bad place. So I expect that they will take out uh, some of this uh, on Israel, uh, try and you know, gain support amongst the Palestinian people. But I do not see it in the interests of either Israel or Hamas uh, for a wider conflict at this point. And in our last minute here, can you just give us an update on what's going on with the coronavirus in Israel? Um, <laughs> in one minute, almost impossible, but uh, schools are going back, basically. Uh, by the end of next week, I believe um, all uh, school children in Israel will be back in school. Um, the numbers are starting to go up. They've already gone beyond the, what is it, the R rate. It's over one, uh, which means that it's multiplying up. Uh, people are already talking about a third lockdown. They say Hanukkah, which is only two, three weeks away. Um, but again, if, if we're having a, an election uh, being called in December, I think a lot of, you know, we're in that sort of time where everything is being, uh, being dictated by the political clock. So there's certainly no interest uh, from Prime Minister Netanyahu to put more people out of work, to keep the kids at home, which is certainly, uh, you know, a, a problem for a lot of parents. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is uh, the allowance of a lot of things uh, with very few restrictions. The health ministry is saying, if we're gonna let schools back in, then we have to restrict in other areas, You know, not open malls, maybe close some other uh, sectors of society or whatever it is, just to wait uh, to balance that a little bit. Uh, but again, if we've got a prime minister who's going into elections, he's certainly going to want to do everything possible to, uh, you know, to have the situation favorable for him uh, politically and to shut down more, to have more hundreds of thousands lose their jobs, certainly not indicative for a successful campaign. So I think, as I said, uh, a lot of what we'll see over the coming weeks or even months will be dictated by that. Understood. All right, well, we've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers, as a reminder, there will be no webinar this Friday due to Thanksgiving. Uh, thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.